I, there was something that's been on my mind. Uh, I, I was thinking about there's this statement, uh, and we hear it in different forms and different ways that it gets worded, but it's something that goes along the lines of um, time heals all things. Uh, maybe you've heard some, some form of this statement. And uh, there's, there's ways when I l- start looking back at my life and I start thinking about things, and I think, man, it's been decades and there are still things that I feel shame about, you know, ways that I boasted as a child that I'm like, what was I thinking? I was an idiot, like bragging about that. Uh, things that, that it's like, I remember things that my parents said to me that were hurtful, and I still carry that with me. And things that, ways that I've treated people that I still carry this sense of guilt of, I wish that I handled that differently. Uh, ways that people hurt me that I still carry those things, decisions that I made that I feel regret about. Uh, and there's a sense of where I think this, this, the idea that time heals all things uh, just doesn't seem to hold true. Uh, maybe, maybe you feel like this in some ways. Maybe there's things that you can remember as a child, the way that your body was talked about and you were criticized for something about your appearance. Maybe there was a part of you where you always felt as an outsider. Maybe there were parts of you that you think, I still remember the way those things happened and they still affect the way that I live today. And some of these things, when we think the, the idea that time heals all things, it sure doesn't. That time heals nothing. That it doesn't matter how long ago something was, I can't get enough separation from it that it doesn't affect me anymore. That it doesn't matter how long ago that was, I still carry those wounds with me and the wounds that I've caused other people. And so sometimes I, I look at that and I think, there's, what, what changes? You know, maybe, maybe the tears go away, but the, just the form that it gets expressed changes, and that's it. Maybe my anger is no longer red hot, but now it's cold bitterness. And when I look at this, it's, time doesn't change things. And instead, I need somewhere else to find transformation. I need somewhere else to find freedom from what I've done to other people. I need some place to find healing from what people have done to me. And the idea that I can ignore it or I can set it aside and just leave it alone and give it enough time, I'll be okay. Don't we, don't we even do this with sin if we're, if we're honest? Isn't there some kind of a sense of I have these sinful patterns and if I just put myself in situations where I don't feel tempted or I don't have to face that struggle, enough time will pass where it's no longer an issue for me? But as soon as we get back into that situation again, it springs right back up. And so ignoring things, pushing them aside, and hoping that enough time passes and things will get better, that doesn't provide us any of the hope or the deliverance that we might hope for. We, We meet together as a church because we say, at the core of our foundation, we believe where healing and transformation comes is founded in what Christ did on the cross. 
that we have to say our hope and our deliverance that we look to, everything is summarized and centered in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Last week, Ethan started talking about what our mission is at a church. What, what is it? What is the reason why we gather and meet? What are we trying to accomplish as we're together? And he said, our goal, what we're aiming for, what our purpose is as a church is to make the name of Jesus known. And when we say that, we mean that there is a there is an evangelism aspect to this, places where the name of Jesus is not known. We want to proclaim and we want to bring his healing and grace to those places. But there's also an internal aspect to this of what aspects of my heart have been closed off from the presence of Jesus. What, what areas of my heart am I not willing to experience the grace that he offers me? And so we meet together as a church, one, to proclaim him to others, but also because we need each other to proclaim his grace to ourselves. And this is why we meet, and this is what we, I want us to, to spend some talking, time talking about, because this is not intuitive for us. It's not natural for us to meet with each other and to, to face the issues that we have to share God's grace, to experience it, and to, to allow ourselves to be known and that grace to be exchanged. This isn't natural for us. What's natural for us is to hope that given enough time, if I push something away, if I ignore it, there will be healing and there will be freedom that I can find from it. But what happens is when we do that, when we push something aside and hope that the, that time will bring us some healing, Instead of finding any kind of deliverance, any kind of hope or comfort, nothing, nothing changes. And the only thing that, that becomes different is our hearts become harder. We see this in, in some of Jesus' interactions with, with the Jews in the Gospels. And, and I want to start off by looking at a, a passage where an exchange that, that he has with, with the Jews. Before... Um, before we bash on them too much, uh, can, we, can we take a moment and just kind of empathize with the Jews of the time? Uh, there's times where we look at them, we think these like harsh, legalistic, like get a clue people, Jesus is here to save you. Like take a second and think about the history and the background that they're coming from. Like these are people that a couple of hundred years prior to this their nation has been overthrown and they've gone into exile. This was an act of judgment because of their unfaithfulness to, to following the law. They, they were unfaithful and so God brings in a foreign power to conquer them, carry them off into exile. This is a massively traumatic event that happens. And the exile ends, they're able to come back to, to the promised land, but not all things are fully restored. They, they are not a sovereign nation anymore. The temple is a shadow of its former self. They've gone through something that was massively devastating. And imagine the response that this would have to their faith and the way they expressed it. 
I think, I think that makes it a little bit easier to understand why then a group like the Pharisees would, uh, would come up and say, okay, the one thing that we're going to make sure that we're serious about is following the law, and we're going to follow it to the letter because we do not want something like this to happen again. Like, what just happened was completely awful and horrendous, and we cannot let a repeat of this happen. So guys, get serious. We're going to follow the law to the exact letter. And there is this heart of of hardness, of of harshness, of rigidity uh, that comes to this. And, And I make think that gives us a little bit of, can give us a little bit of empathy of why it might be so hard to respond to Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and there is then tension and growing conflict with Jesus. And Jesus teaches in parables. He teaches like riddles. And somebody asks him, why why do you teach this way? And this this is his response. This is going to be in uh, Matthew 13. I'll have it up here on the screen for you. In Matthew 13, verse 15, he says, this Jesus' response to why he teaches in parables, he says, for the people, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus says he's teaching in parables so they don't understand. Like he's saying, I teach this way because they don't have the ears to hear what I'm sharing. Now he's saying there is a heart, a hardness of their heart. There is a callousness. There is an attitude of self-protection over them that their primary concern is not going and experiencing the trauma that they experienced prior. That whatever happens, we don't want a repeat of what we experienced. So our goal here is protection, making sure that, that we don't have to experience that again, we're looking for safety and stability, and so it doesn't matter what Jesus is coming and saying. I'm not willing to listen to it. And this is, this is hard to hear. Jesus says, so I'm not even going to share with you. I'm going to make it so you can't even understand. There's something where it's, Jesus is saying that if you're not willing to listen, he's saying, I'm not going to share this with you. Like, if we are closed off and we're saying, God, I'm not willing to go there, then there's an aspect of distance that that comes from that. There's an isolation and a separation that that we experience. There's a loss of intimacy that that happens. As I I think about about this, I, I fear the areas of my heart that are hard enough that I won't let God speak to them. I fear that there may be areas of your heart that are hard and you won't let God speak to you. That when truth comes to shove, I, I don't care what Jesus has to say about this. I desire my protection and my stability. I wanna make sure that I'm safe, that I've taken care of, and so, don't, don't go there with me, God. Uh, a way 
personally that I experience this is uh, I, I have a fear of being taken care of. Not, not necessarily like uh, I, I want people to come and take care of me, but I worry that Christina and I are going to have enough, like financially. Uh, this week, uh, Christina's 403B uh, statement came in the mail from, from the last quarter, and so I'm going over it, and I, this weekend, I probably did like five of those online retirement calculators, like, are we sure we're saving enough? Like, are things going to be okay? And like, is there going to be social security when we retire? Like, what's the market going to do for the next 20 years? And I start thinking about those things, and there's a fear and anxiety that I am worried and I will never actually be fully satisfied that we have enough and that we're stable. And so if it comes down to it and that God was to somehow tell me to do something that put us in a vulnerable situation, I would not go there. That, that would be a non-starter for me. And I would say, God, I can give you from my excess once I, make, when I, once I look at our budget and I make sure the money's here and money's there and we're saving these right places, then I will give to you. But if you call me to go somewhere that I don't actually feel, that I worry about my comfort, that I worry that we're going to be okay, that we're going to have enough, I, I don't think I can hear that. And there's a place where of now I start missing out on what God has, can have planned for me. There, there's a place where I am now protecting myself from my Savior. I fear that maybe this could be true of you in some area. That maybe there's areas that you say, I don't know if I can trust God with these areas. My goal and my priority has to be self-protection because of what I've seen and been through already. When I look at my past, that's not healed yet. I don't want to go through that again. And so my goal is protection and my goal is safety. I want to ask you to not assume that this might be untrue of you. That if our hearts are callous, it's hard to acknowledge that they're callous. And when I ask you to be willing to think, are there things that I'm not willing to hear from God? Are there truths about me that I actually don't want to look at and, and I don't want to acknowledge? So it would be better just to, to put them away and hope that in enough time, it's better. Maybe some point down the road, I've, it's fixed itself and it's resolved and I don't have to deal with that. But what I want to say is, is ask yourself, are, what things are you willing, what barriers are you, have you created, what aspects of your heart are you protecting from God? And is that, the, is that what we should be doing? Should we be protecting ourselves from our Savior? You know, this is, this is a, a question about the access that we give of our hearts to God. Uh, another way of, of thinking about this is how much access do we give to each other? 
Like it's, it's the, the same concept. If we aren't going to be, if we don't give God access, uh, we're not going to give each other as, access to our hearts and, and vice versa. And so are there people in your life that know you well enough that they could hurt you? Like are there people that know your baggage, that, that know the skeletons in your closet? Are there people that, if, that know you well enough that if they said everything they knew about you publicly that you would be wounded by it. Because my, my inclination is to say, I would rather keep certain things off the record and not let those things be known. And I would rather that you have a positive uh, opinion of me. I'd rather you see the good parts of me. Uh, and I'm not inclined to let the fullness of me be known. There's aspects of my heart that I want to protect, and what this does is it drives me into isolation, and it drives me from experiencing the fullness of what we're meant for in our faith. Self-protection, it leads us to a hardened heart because of its seclusion. To find healing and to move towards connection and fellowship, to welcoming the healing presence of Jesus into our hearts, we need to identify and remove our defenses. So our defenses obscure our awareness of our needs. Let me, let me turn to another passage with you in Revelation 3. This is a passage you have probably heard many times before. Uh, verse 20. Here I am, I, this is Jesus talking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. Uh, this is a, a verse that usually we think of in terms of evangelism, like, like sharing the gospel. Jesus is, is calling all people, and so share the gospel with people, and then people will respond and uh, invite Jesus into their hearts or something. This is a verse that Jesus is saying to a church. This is, this is two believers that he's speaking. And he's saying that Jesus, is, there is a barrier that we have keeping Jesus out. And Jesus is saying, I am on the outside of that barrier and I'm knocking. And I'm saying, will you let me into this? Can we have greater fellowship than what we have right now? And Jesus is knocking. He's not barging in. He's not kicking down the door. But he's knocking and he's saying, I'm here, will you welcome me in? The, the church that, that this is being said to, uh, in this passage, it's described as a lukewarm church. Um, a lot of times when I hear us talk about uh, being lukewarm, I, I hear it in terms of passion, like the lukewarm church is kind of the, or the lukewarm Christian is kind of the unexcited, like, you know, like you show up to church and you're like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands and you're like, this is lame. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not lukewarmness. Like, look at, let me tell you the, the further description is they're called lukewarm and then this is what it says after it. Uh, we're going to be in verse 17. He says, uh, you say I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Notice he says you, 
you're, you're communicating and you're thinking of yourself as wealthy and you have no needs, but you don't realize your reality. That you have needs that you're not acknowledging, you're not even seeing. That there's needs that we can have and we can be unwilling to look at them and to acknowledge them. And so our idea is I'm going to push it aside and avoid looking at it and seeing that it's there. And then I can look at the things that I do have and say I have so much. That there's barriers and ways that we protect the needs that we don't want to look at. We don't want to see the ugliness of it. And we can say, I, I have so much, look, look, look at me. And, and Jesus is saying, you have so many needs and you're not seeing them. That the, the lukewarmness is an unwillingness to acknowledge our, our continued needs. And there's an idea of I have, I'm sufficient and I have all that I need. That I can, I can protect my needs and I only need to ask for a little from God because I can, I can take care of the rest. That there's this, this hardness in saying, I don't fully need Jesus because I have enough things covered. And those, those things that, that are needs, I can protect, I can push aside, they're going to fix themselves in enough time. That that's not who I really am, I have so much over here. Jesus is saying, I'm on the outside, I'm knocking, and I'm saying, will you welcome me in? Will you let me bring healing and restoration to that? But he knocks and he says, when you are ready to let me in, I am here. Not kicking down the door, not forcing himself in, but he's saying, when you are ready, let me come in. I will bring healing I will bring restoration. So the truth is the most vulnerable parts of us, the most broken parts, the most damaged parts, these are the areas that we least want to give God access to, but they're, they're also the areas that we most desperately need him. I, I think of um, after I finished seminary, um, the first position I took at a church, uh, it did not go well. Um, so uh, we were there for just a couple of months and uh, clearly it was not the right fit. Uh, a polite way to say this would be that God removed us from that situation. Um, and, but we left and I was depressed, uh, angry, sad, uh, you name it. Um, the best decision that, that I think we made, uh, we went back to our, to our old church uh, with some people that we knew were safe and shared with them what happened, shared with them the shame that we felt about what happened. We felt like we failed. Um, we felt like this is, this is not what it's supposed to be like being in ministry. How, how could something like this happen? How could the church be like this? And the thing that, in hindsight, that I'm so happy that we did is that we went there and we shared with those safe people what, what had happened. And we said, I have nothing to offer right now. I am broken and hurting. I just need you to love me. And we, 
were hurting enough that it was a one-sided friendship for a time. We didn't have much to offer, uh, but we let that shame be known by safe people. And we let people love us, we let people care for us and walk with us. It was a, a physical expression of Jesus knocking at the door and us saying, okay, we need to let Jesus in on this. We, every part of me wants to cover this and say, I feel ashamed of what happened and I don't want to go there. I don't want to revisit this and rehash it. But to say, I, I need to be loved right now. I need to let some people love us. And this is something that, that's so important and it's so uncomfortable. Uh, Tim Creeder, uh, a columnist who wrote for uh, the New York Times, he, he writes about this idea about the cost of being loved. And this is the way he describes it. He says, if we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known. Let me say that again. If we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being, of being known. That if I want to actually belong somewhere, if I actually want to experience someone's love and be embraced and be fully uh, loved unconditionally, I have to let the fullness of myself be known. Like that's, that's the cost that it comes with. That the things that we feel ashamed of, the things that we don't want to revisit, the trauma, the pain, the, thing, the ways that we've hurt other peoples and the, the way that we've been hurt, those things have to be known. And, the, and if we cover it, we don't experience love there. We don't experience uh, God's transformation. But it just stays, stays there and it sits. We have to remove our defenses, our self-protection, in order to know Jesus more deeply. The opportunity of a deepening relationship with Jesus, it also comes with a promise. There's a promise of a richer faith. The intimacy with relating with Jesus will enrich our faith. Let me read from you uh, from Ephesians 1. This is in verse 17. He says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let me pause there for a second. He says, I'm asking that as you know God now, I'm asking that you and I want you to know him better. And this is through a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is, this is I want you to contemplate. I want you to, to examine. I want you to consider. Don't, growing closer to God doesn't happen through covering things and pushing things aside. That it comes through wisdom and through revelation. Examine your hearts, examine God, but it comes through consideration and examination, not through masking things and pushing things aside. And he continues, he says, 
I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for, uh, for us who believe. He says, I hope that in, in the depths of you, in your heart, you are able to see all that you have in Christ that you were able to experience the hope that you have through his salvation. That you were able to experience, uh, there's a, this, this glory of being a part of his inheritance. Like, we are his inheritance. There is a sense of us, we can have a sense of belonging because we are valuable to Christ and we are in his, his inheritance. He says, there is, there is a power, this power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He said, there is this power that is active within the church that should bring healing and restoration. And he says, I want you to know this. I want you to know the fullness that happens when we have intimacy with God. That it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it to be known. That the cost of letting things come out and be known and seen that there's going to be a love with it, and it's going to be worth the, what it costs you. Uh, I, I think of, um, from, from my favorite show, uh, Seinfeld, if I can make a Seinfeld reference, it's a success. Um, there is this episode where uh, Jerry and Elaine, they, they go somewhere, uh, they get stranded at the airport, and their flight gets canceled, so they have to book a new flight, uh, they get uh, the last two tickets on a plane, one in first class and one in coach. And so Elaine says, well, I've never flown first class, so I should be the one that gets the, the first class ticket. And Jerry's response is, no, that's exactly why you should get the coach ticket, because you don't know what you're missing. So just you can fly coach, and it's a normal flight for you. you, you that's all you know, so just take the coach flight. But I've flown first class. So I know how much it sucks to go, go back to being coach. And so the rest of the episode, so Jerry ends up getting first class, and the rest of the episode you see how miserable Elaine is flying in coach and how comfortable Jerry is in, in first class. But the, the connection is there, when you experience the fullness, when you experience intimacy with Christ, you, you feel how, how could I go back to what was before? Or even when I'm flying in coach, there's more to my faith that I could be experiencing, but maybe I don't even realize it. That if I'm living a, a self-protected life where there's aspects of my heart that I'm saying these are off-limits to God, there, there is a limit to my faith and a limit to the way I experience a relationship with him. And if that's all I know, man, I'm, I'm missing out on what more there could be. And it can be scary to say, I'm going to be willing to let myself be known. I'm going to be willing to expose these things to safe people. I'm going to be willing to let my Savior know these things but it, it's, it's a richer faith. It's a faith that it's going to be worth it. It's a faith that we're going to say, how, how could I have settled for what I had previously? 
How could I have been comfortable with that when there, when there was so much more that was available to me? When we stay distant from our community, when we resist God's grace, when we construct systems of self-protection, there is so much that we miss out on. Larry Crabb uh, writes, but the absolute center of what he, what God does to help us change is to reveal himself to us, to give us a taste of what he's really like and to pour out his life into us. And a critical element in the revealing process is to place us in a community of people who are enough like him to give us that taste firsthand. Let me, let me say that last part one more time. A critical element in the revealing process is to place us in a community of people who are enough like him to give us that taste firsthand. That we are, Christ is on the, on the outside of our, of our barriers. He is knocking and he is saying, when you are ready, let me in. But a way that we experience that a very tangible way we experience that is through as, as a community and as a church. Where we say, I need sometimes a face that I can actually look at. I need a hug sometimes. Sometimes I need a physical presence there with me. And he says, it's through the people that are like him that he, that he brings that. Our challenge is to press deeper into our relationship with Jesus, and the promise is that it'll be worth it. I ask you to consider what are those areas of your heart that are you protect? What are the areas of your heart that you think, I don't think I can trust my Savior with these, these places? There's not going to be healing that comes in those places that our lives are going to continue and that's the, that pain that's there is just going to continue as well. But Jesus says, take down your barriers and take down your, your forms of protection. Let him move towards you and love you. He doesn't do this with shame. He doesn't do this shaking his head, thinking he's disappointed with you. But he says, when you are ready to let me in, I will move towards you and I will bring healing, and I will bring restoration. And the promise is that intimacy, as scary as it is to move into it, we're going to be glad that we did. Let me pray for us.